Hello, everyone, and welcome to the American Scouser Podcast. We are back. It's a Monday after a win. I'm your host, as always. Too much in here in Chicago. No Bickler today, so I'm going to be have to be like twice as cynical and grumpy to kind of make up for that. But Galley is here. What's going on, Galley? Uh, not too much. You know, it, it's it's a it's a shocking. It's a Monday. We won. We still have a whole lot to complain about. So, well, it's still the same season as always. Um, but before we get going, I just realized I'm looking down at the date. Um, I want to say happy birthday to my mother-in-law, Deborah. Uh, Deborah Buck, happy birthday. Uh, her birthday is tomorrow. She listens at the beginning of every show. I figure that's because she can only stomach that much of us. And I wanted to make sure I said happy birthday. And... Hopefully, this means that I will move up the son-in-law depth chart. And seeing that Kelly is an only child, I can only go up because I'm the only person on the depth chart. That helps that the competition is low. Uh, by the way, could it be that she listens to the first 10 minutes because she loves the trivia segment, you think? It's probably that she loves the fact that I can't get the trivia segment right. Watching you struggle probably makes her day. Yeah. Well, the bad thing is there will be no trivia today. <laughs> Since it's just two of us, no trivia today. Ellen says, Galley, you creep. Uh, I'm assuming he mentions this, but it could be a, a other host of reasons why he says that. So let's not delve into that. Uh, before we get going right here, uh, I wanted to say a big thanks. And I did we did get some messages this morning. So we did extend the fundraiser for one more day. It was supposed to end last night. And I even made it like way past midnight kind of a thing so that the West Coast and all that kind of stuff. Uh, but I did get some messages, some people for getting to bid and stuff like that on the silent auction. So we did end it another, extend it another 24 hours. So it does end about midnight, I think, tonight. Uh, that's both for the fundraiser as well as the silent auction we got going. Uh, it's been pretty good overall. Uh, it's been like a nice thing to have. Uh, like I say, been very humble to see the reaction of some and how enthusiastic some were. Of course, there's, trust me, doing a fundraiser can be very frustrating, especially when it's a good cause uh, and you want to really like push it. Uh, but it's been really nice to kind of see uh, some people maybe we didn't expect as much to be involved in being over the top involved and helping out and stuff like that. So either way, I mean, we will end up probably being like about like 3,500 or so, maybe close to 4,000 if we make use of these last four or five hours here, which is better than zero for one. And, you know, I know if, it, if you guys ever got a chance to watch the interview with Atori, I mean, we were talking about how $100 can buy 10 kids, three months worth of basically psychological support. So if we're able to send $3,000, $4,000 and be able to do that, uh, I think I also saw uh, they sent me, say the children has this stuff where it shows you like how much you can get with the money kind of a thing, like what it buys them. And I know $1,000 could buy 100 students their entire basically supplies for the school year. Uh, so if we're able to send three Amazing. dollars and we can just help with that, I think I would consider this mission accomplished for the most part. So thanks a lot for those involved, helping out, sharing and all that kind of stuff. It's been really awesome to have and added with like a winning streak towards the end. I'm assuming it's all good karma. That has to be it, Gally. It has to be. It's always good karma when good things happen around here. Or it's just that Paul's not here. So or, good yeah, things happen. That could be it too. That could be it too. So we're going to mainly focus on the game, obviously, and kind of like talk about that. I almost want to talk about it in phases, right? 
Um, so let's start with the lineup. And the midfield was kind of a surprise in some ways. I guess let me ask you that. I think we all knew that if when Diaz was 100%, he would take his spot back. So it's not as shocking to see that. Uh, we talked about Gakpo in the last couple of podcasts, how he's kind of grown into that Bobby role and doing better and better. So that was expected. I guess the midfield trio, we knew there would be some rotation. But when you see Curtis Jones and Harvey Elliott over there, what was your initial thought process? Wow. Um, this this could be... I'm assuming that's no 5 o'clock shadow. So I had to shave today. I had to go to work. Yeah, I don't um, know if he means a 5 o'clock shadow or like a $5 shadow. <laughs> I'm hoping that's why he shadow. thinks I... I'm hoping that's why he actually thought I was a creep, is that I was that I shaved. Um <laughs> Not that I wish my mother-in-law a happy birthday, because that would be weird. Let me tell you that right now, Alan. And I like you. Um, but the, I think the biggest thing with that midfield that shocked me was, was that he was willing to start Harvey Elliott, period. And we'll get to more of the match of how it worked out. But when I first saw the starting lineup, the first thing I said was, I don't know about Harvey there. Like, if Hendo couldn't have went, I think I would have started Milner. And if Milner couldn't have gone, I probably would have started Tiago. I know eventually we find out Tiago was unfit, but I would have thought I'd start Tiago and I would have started Jones on the right. Um, at this point, we can get more into Elliot because I have some ideas about him or what I saw in this match. But... Well, let's delve right into it because I thought even though Elliot, I mean, I don't know, sofa score grades are a little meh and like there's a lot of variables to it. Uh, so he's the lowest with Robo and he did have a brutal game. But um, I thought one thing that Harvey brought was really helped out Curtis because it felt like Curtis did not have to be the only one who can perhaps create and do something out of midfield because that load got split into him and Harvey. I mean, I'll be honest, when I saw that, I was like, holy cow, this could be a defensive disaster um, in terms of, you know, especially with like Trent's, you know, cutting in and pushing up the midfield and stuff like that. But I guess like, like I say, my thing was that having Elliot there made Curtis's job, it feels like so much easier. And Curtis gave another pretty decent performance this week. Yeah, I. so here's my thing about Elliot in this match. I think this was almost like a microcosm of Harvey Elliott right now in this Liverpool side. In the first half, when we were running rampant in that first 30, 40 minutes, I thought that Harvey Elliott was wonderful. He was bright. He was linking up play. He was getting in all the right spots. He made a few defensive um moments where he pressed or came back and kind of helped out on the defensive side and everything was working great. And you see all the good things that Harvey brings. As soon as the match started to turn, I felt like that was right where Harvey just, he went completely invisible. He started to kind of forget some of his defensive responsibilities he created some weird spaces, and then they had to substitute him out. Like, when when we needed to make a change, and, and I know that you want to talk about how late those changes came, because I'm with you on that. We were, you know, it woke you up out of your morning slumber. You hadn't said a thing all game until you came in to tell us how poorly Klopp was handling 
this comeback. Um, but and you were right, by the way, and we'll talk about it. But the that first change was taking Harvey off, yeah, and changing the midfield. And I just think that Jones is showing his role where if he actually has some confidence, what is it, six starts in the Premier League now in a row? That is a really, really well-taken goal. It'll yes. get chalked off like it was easy. That was a volley in the air for a guy who hasn't shot the ball on net in a few months. So that's a pretty good job by him. So, I, you know, for me, to him to get the first goal there, I thought Jones once again was bright, did a lot of good work, and – more than anything, I think Jones stayed inside himself. And I think when we were front running, Elliot was great. But as soon as he was asked to impact the game on his own, he struggles, in my opinion, to kind of put his footprint on what he actually does for this side. And I don't know if that's the kind of like the youth for both guys, because I feel that's the scenario for both of them. But... Curtis can do, I think, a lot more off the ball to kind of keep himself in the game and involved in the game. You don't get that as much from Harvey at times. Not that Harvey doesn't work as hard defensively, but I think involvement-wise, Curtis is like, you know, even if he's just taking it and giving it back to like Robertson or something like that, he's like Mm. in the mix. Whereas Harvey is kind of like running around trying to create space but not really coming as much to the ball and getting involved with the play. That's kind of like takes him out of it. I don't know if it's more of a style or he feels like that's his job to create that space. But I think that's like kind of like the difference, but they need someone next to them to kind of like basically be able to play more freely. I thought Elliot's helped Jones do that. Uh, obviously not the reverse. And I mean, to be fair, uh, Harvey could have fallen asleep because uh, some of us were about to fall asleep uh, with like how slow we were playing. So he might have been like, the hell with this. I'm just going to take a nap over here by Mo and then wake me up when it's 3-2 or something like that. But so let's start with the beginning of the game. So we start on fire. And it was good to see the team hunting in packs again when we're like pressing up top. And I don't know, that's kind of like the youth we're getting from both Harvey and Jones is obviously a big part of that. But I think having Gakpo kind of like growing into this more and more depressing role he has. We know Diaz can do it, and we know more can do his share. So that was great to see. So that beginning right there where Tottenham is having Newcastle flashbacks is, is the reason because like of how we play? Or was it you think Tottenham saying, oh, shit, here we go again? and just basically tripping over themselves. Well, I mean, I think the first part is like a moment of brilliance. We turn them over in midfield and Trent makes the cross or creates the cross for Jones's goal. I mean, when you're up one, nothing within two minutes at Anfield, I think you automatically go to, here we go again. I think that set the tone right off the bat. After that, I think, we had a couple good plays, but what was it? We were up two nothing in six minutes, ten minutes. Uh yeah, I and think then so. goals here. I think it was like ten minutes, and then we make. You know, we have two or three other good chances, and we're just attacking. And I think it was part of it was it was like Spurs really were garbage for thirty minutes. I mean, they were like a hot mess. But is and that they didn't even show any effort. Is that them just panicking, you think? 
I'd say it's 50-50. I think they were afraid of another six to one shellacking. And it it like hit them like a they were punch drunk at two nil. Yeah. And I think the penalty in some ways allowed Spurs house money. Cause they went down three nil yeah. on a penalty. And they were like, All right. It's one of those days we just gotta and then they slowly got back into the game basically from that moment on. But I feel like we I mean they never went and I think that's one thing that Mason did. He didn't have this team say they started the damage control a lot earlier compared to the Newcastle game where you know they started damage control and I think we kind of helped them with that damage control cuz we slowed the game down. And I think like Mason's thing was, you know what, let's stay the course. And then, you know, if they score, they score, but let's sit back cuz they were still sitting back. They were sitting back in like the 55th minutes or whatever when we were up 3-1 because they knew their best shot was just sitting back, basically have us shoot ourselves in the foot so they can counter with like Kane and Son and stuff like that, which, I mean, let's face it, for the most part, worked like a shot. It worked great. I mean, it was it was everything that they wanted it to do, and I think the whole purpose of it was just that. I, I, I don't think that Mason, like, called off the dogs in any special way. I don't think they were coming to do anything different, actually. Like, uh, I think they were coming yeah. to play that style um, and hopefully hit us on the counter. And they were down 2 nothing. And when you're down 2 nothing, it's like, man, it's hard right now. What are we supposed to do? We just practiced something else all week. And he was like, well, I've only been a coach for 15 minutes, and I'm 11. So I don't have a book. Stick with it. I mean, I guess yeah. that was the thing. They stuck with it and they said there's no other way. It's only gonna get worse if we open up and attack. And I'm sure he knows that. I mean, if that defense doesn't really like back up and protect each other, they are kind of all over the place. We were still be able to create, but it just felt like we basically stopped. We were like game over. And I know Klopp in the like the press conference kind of talked about, you know, the fans always starting singing like the game was over as well, singing his song. It was like, do not start that. I don't know if they're like the guys on the field are like, oh, is that the, like it's like the dinner bell? They're like, oh, hey, you know, that song is playing game must be over or something like that. But we kind of stopped playing and did this like there's a bonus for number of passes completed or something. At one point, I think it was Curtis, and I can't remember who the other person was. They passed back and forth to each other within like five feet, like six times. And I was like, could we play any freaking slower? Do you put that on the players in terms of kind of like getting relaxed? I'm talking just initially on the end of the first half, after the 3-0. That slowdown. Do you put it on the players themselves? Or what changed that we were like, ah, oh, let's slow things down here? I think it's a little bit on the players and I think it's also has to be on um, it has to be on the supporters in the crowd as well. I mean, we started Olaying Spurs like our supporters started doing Olay chants in the first half when Spurs strung like four or five passes in a row together. Like, yeah. like we were, like laughing at United down seven nothing, and there was three minutes to go. 
So in some ways, I can understand where Klopp is coming from, kind of calling out the supporters. I always hate when managers or players like call out how supporters who pay a lot of money support <laughs> decide to support. Like that always does bother me. Like it, it, it's an it's one of those pet peeves, like holding up signs and asking for equipment. <laughs> one of the many but, pet peeves, let's say. Okay. <laughs> yeah, there might be a few, but. I digress, but I, I think when it comes to Klopp in this one, he gets it all wrong. It's on the players because the players have to keep playing. And that's one of the weird things about this iteration of this team. A year ago, two years ago, that team would have went for five in the first half. They would have went for six. They would have been like purring with the fact that they could score more goals. And it almost felt like they got up 3-0 and they were like, this team's dead. This team doesn't care. We'll just roll this one home. Like we were still this like upper echelon. We can just see out any match under any circumstance. We're the side that lost to Bournemouth and leads at home. And this team was like, yeah, we're good. And look what it's happened. Not like, you know, like Van Dyke was like, hey, are they dead? And then like Moe's like kicking Tottenham. They're like, yeah, they're dead. They're dead. Like it's not three zero. There's no life in here. They're done. And then we just stopped. And I understand, I know what he's saying in terms of, you know, I mean, I think Shelton like nails it when he says they got complacent. And I think and I understand the psychology behind it. Sometimes you go into a game and you feel like this is gonna be a tough one. And when it starts really easy you're like, oh, holy shit. We were worrying about this. Like, this was really easy. Like, this is done kind of a deal. And I don't know. I understand. So initially slowing down, and I think this is the part that gets to me. You get a wake-up call with their goal. And I know this is like a mind fart with Konate, perhaps like pushing up too high and that passing lane is not cut. But one way or the other, and they had a, they had a chance right before that as well. So you get the wake-up call, but the team did not wake up. They they hit snooze and they just they just kept going for like another ten minutes. Is that totally on the players now? Because you got to take the fans out of the equation. Because you knew the moment it was three one, the fans were like, "Oh shit, this could be game on if we don't get their act, if, I, if we don't get our act straight." So as soon as the goal goes in, right, and it is it's a comedy of errors. Kanate comes up, Van Dyke just falls down. Yeah, I mean, if that was Harry Maguire. Let's be honest. If that was Harry Maguire, our entire Facebook groups and some of oh, our people in our Discord channel would have been creating memes that would still be running to this moment. I mean, he took two steps and literally fell down on his bum and then watched a goal from his backside. Like, it happens to everyone, right? Like, it happens. But it happened to Van Dyke on that moment because Kanate probably put him a little bit out of position by going too far up. But that's going to happen with this new formation and Trent going into new spaces and everybody being asked to cover different areas of the pitch. But once they give up that goal and Harry Kane does what he does, you have to make changes right then and there. Like the fact that they didn't get subs up right there for that moment, that to me almost said to the players, like, just keep doing what you're doing. Yes. Because I think if you don't make a change there and, and demand a formation of focus, of an alteration, I think at that point, 
you're basically telling the players, just keep doing what you're doing. We got this. And I feel like that's what happened. Right? I mean, the goal came in the minute. 40th minute. So I kind of was like, we got to get the freaking halftime. And I figured at halftime, we would kind of wake up and say, hey, you know, we can't just let him go back, get back into the game. We created the situation ourselves by playing slow. How do we get to 3-0? We got to go back to that and we got to keep doing it. So I kind of figured because it came in the 40th, you kind of like ride the rest and take it as one situational error of like letting a runner behind you or something like that. But to me, and that's why I kept telling it when sitting on Discord, that's what really aggravated me is we started the second half the, exactly the same way we finished the first. And that to me, exactly like what you're saying here, says, yeah, we're good. Just keep doing what we're doing because we were playing – so freaking slow. I mean, it was ridiculous. When the game started, like these two guys were getting snacks, you know, they're like, oh, it's going to be one of these games. Stitch is like telling Leo, remember that Bournemouth they do? It's going to be like that, I think, and stuff. You know, they're having a good old time. And then, you know, they were trying to stay asleep, stay awake and watching us move the ball slow because we were playing so slow in the end of the first half. And we started the second half in the same exact way. And to me, that is on clock. For not saying, hey, let's go back to square one, how we started. Yeah, I think I think it's not just on Klopp for that. I, I think in some ways it's on the tactics overall. Because I, I have to feel like at halftime, if he had made a big statement or some type of a, we have to make these adjustments, we would have seen some of it on the pitch. So there must have been some form of we're 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 sticking to our tactics. We're doing what I wanted. Like I was happy with that first half performance. Yes, they got their goal. You know, we'll shore it up at the back, and and we're gonna see this out three to one. We'll we'll hit them on the counter when they finally come out. We'll get them on the counter, and we'll hit the fourth goal, and it's over. It that's the only thing that makes any sense because if not then we have a different conversation because then what's being said inside the dressing room is not coming out and being translated on the pitch. Cause that's what we saw. Maybe we needed Tiago to translate it for everybody, uh, which that wasn't even the translation, by the way, that was Tiago just giving his own tactics to Nunez. It felt like just based it on Klopp's well, reaction or, or based on Nunez's performance on the pitch makes you think like <laughs> it wasn't what Klopp told him to do. He was doing what Tiago told him to do. So maybe the real issue with Nunez so far this year is Tiago is his translator, and we should find a different Portuguese uh, translator. Because, yeah, they said, like, translate, but when I watched it afterwards, I'm like, dude, Klopp has no idea. Like, he's like, what did you just freaking tell him is Klopp's look there? So I don't think that was a translation. But And then he climbs up into the stands like he like he's going into the crowd. to like. And he almost got hurt doing it. I was like, he's going to pull something. We're going to lose him for another four weeks. It's probably <laughs> how he got hurt. <laughs> but – I mean, that's the thing. We didn't make any changes. I mean, I don't necessarily want substitution mind changes, but it was more of like a mindset change I was expecting. And when it didn't happen, to me, if there are no changes being made, because I think it was the 60th minute, right? By the time we saw uh, Henderson come in, 63 by the time Henderson came in. I know Kazi was making excuses for Klopp on Discord saying the ball didn't go out of bounds and stuff, but the ball was out of bounds for 15 minutes at halftime and nothing freaking changed. So, right. and then we stuck the second half, still nothing changes. So if the message 
was sent at halftime and it was not received, I would have expected these substitutions to be a lot earlier to kind of wake people up on the pitch. I, if it was the same, that's why I'm thinking it is, was the same and nothing was addressed. And that's what got to me. And when we came to 3-2, when you go to 3-2, you know now it's like squeaky bump time. And then of all freaking people, Richarlison gets that freaking lucky-ass goal. And I was more furious at, you know, everybody was like, oh, this team, this team. I was like, this is all freaking club and nobody else. Yeah, I, I was with you. I mean, I was one of the people in the Discord channel complaining. I, I actually would have went to Henderson at halftime. And it again, I thought that Elliot kind of faded as the half went on. I think it would have been an easy substitution. And I think you needed the leadership. I think you almost needed to do what you're talking about. Like that would have been Klopp's type of statement. We're gonna yeah. move the ball quicker. We're going to grab a scruff, you know, grab the this match by the scruff of the neck, and we're gonna tow it across the line. We're gonna put our captain in to see it through. And if Henderson's not fit, then you put Milner in to do it. Yeah. You know, um, then you bring in Henderson at the 63rd minute. Things get a little better. You give up second goal. And now, you know, you get to extra time. And let's talk about it here. You know, you mentioned, you know, you mentioned the the Richarlison tipping. But what the hell is Milner doing there? Yeah, like, that was you, uh You've been in this league for too long in that moment to create that foul for no reason. Like, there's no reason to create the foul. You know that they're going to get the call. And forget the Paul Tierney thing. I don't even want to get into the refereeing part of it, but you, you know you are not going to survive that foul. And in stoppage time, you give them a set play inside their own half. And then it leads to that goal. It just that it could have been so much worse for uh for for Millie on a week where all this news is coming out about all the places that he's gonna be playing next year and not here. But to like that could have been a really, really bad afternoon for him had Shoda not bailed him out with the last minute. Or I guess if Lucas Mora hadn't bailed him out. Lucas Mora's beautiful through ball to Jutta and then he finishes. So I guess I know you said you don't want to get to two anything, but we will have to get to that. Oh, I know um, we will. I know we will. Because, <laughs> I mean, a bunch of bogus goals throughout the game. Uh, the ones on skip, I mean, like how the cards being shown had like no level of explanation at all. It did not make sense. But you have we have to also admit, I mean, the foul on Diaz, how that was not a red is mind-blowing. And Jota's situation, how that is not a red, to me, is mind-blowing. How VAR did not change that to red, I'm not sure. Yeah, I'm going <clears> to... <throat> I guess let's start with the skip one like first, because it came first. And I guess skip wouldn't have been on the pitch to get kicked in the face by Jota. Exactly. Been yeah. sent <laughs> off. So... Once again, you know, in classic Liverpool supporter logic, we can just blame the referee for that. Um, I'm sure that's what Klopp would do in the press conference. But ultimately, I think Skip is a little lucky to avoid the red card on Diaz. Yeah, He does win the ball initially, 
And I don't think there's any intent, and I know intent is not a requirement in a red card, but I don't think there's any intent in what he does and when he lays it on him at the end. He comes through, he wins the ball. I think they give him the benefit of the doubt, and let's be honest, they didn't want to award a second penalty is what they didn't want. It should have been a red card. Skip should have been sent off. But there's no way that Jota can stay on. Like, Jota shouldn't have even been a question. Jota should have been sent off by the referee on the pitch. Yep. This this is where I have the most... um, This is where I have the biggest issue with the whole refereeing of the whole match. That's where, like, if a referee doesn't see Jota kick a guy in the face, and I, I saw it, it was... Above his chest. If you don't see that and send a guy off on the pitch in live time, what are we doing? I think it's the so Sparky says both should be red, both got yellow. So fair. I don't think Skip got a yellow. I don't think Skip got anything. I didn't even get a yellow. I think they were both reds. Here's my thing with the like the Skip one, and I know the defense is like he got the ball, but I mean. As a defender, you go into certain balls, been there, done that, where you know I'm getting the ball or I'm getting an ankle. So either way, I'm getting rid of the situation, right? Like you're basically sacrificing it. It's ball, body. Either way, it's never getting past me. Like, you know, I'm eliminating the situation. And I thought it was that kind of a tackle. And I thought that's what they were trying to stop because the way he is going in, like with the studs up like that, you know, he knows that's going to make a contact either way. So I thought that should have been a red. He doesn't get anything from what I see in the nose. I don't think he got anything at the time because I think when they watch these, it's red or nothing. They don't give, well, it was a yellow. No, in that case, in in that case, they did not. You are right. They did not give, because I don't even think, he didn't even call a foul. So he couldn't have given a yellow. Because he didn't even call a foul because that was the whole thing. They had to go back and review it. Yeah. They didn't even call a foul on the on the wings play. Because Diaz was just hobbling, rolling around on the pitch. And then they yeah. were like, but there's a VAR check ongoing. Um, I think he gets a yellow later in the match, maybe for like persistent infringement. But I could be wrong. Yeah, um, I only have Richarlison. Guess what? I uh, guess for what I mean, and Son, uh, who I think I think I want to say pulled back Konate or somebody, he basically just yanked him back on a counter. Oh, okay, so he Winks didn't get one. I thought Winks had one too, but it doesn't really matter. Uh, could they have given him red? They could have. I don't n- listen. Paul Tierney doesn't show red cards. Paul Tierney has shown like three red cards in four years in the Premier League as a, as a referee. Now, in some ways, I kind of respect that because if you're going to set the precedent that you don't do it, don't do it unless it's really, really warranted. Problem is, someone should probably review these matches he's officiating because there were two that were probably really, really warranted because two guys could have got really, really hurt on Sunday. And that's the thing. If a guy is not showing a lot of red cards, I think to me that's a red flag. 
no pun intended but you know what i mean it's like you know why is this guy what is happening in this guy's games like is everybody being sudden he's in the same freaking league so i either he's a lot softer on things or he's letting things go i mean you could sometimes maybe say oh he controls games better so they don't get ugly or something like that but i mean situations like this and i know you know we were talking about it earlier about you know the holland thing where I think that's the problem. There is no freaking consistency on this. I thought when Holland did that, uh, I think I was against Crystal Palace. I think it was right. That should yeah, have been he red. got Anderson. Yeah, and then I mean, this should have been an easy red. So, and I guess you know, if it's a red, he's not there. But then we go back to your logic. Well, if Skip was gotten the red over there, he wouldn't be there to get his head bloodied. But either way, it was kind of like a mess in the refereeing, which is no surprise. But are you shocked or what was your take on Klopp's response? Well, to the last goal for one where he pulled a hammy. So definitely there's a problem on this team with the physios and everybody, even when your coach pulls a freaking hamstring. Uh, these muscle injuries, I don't know what the issue is. Uh, but especially like to his re the way he reacted, not only pulling the hamstring. But... All right. So I, I have... Uh... I have taken criticism from viewers, from people on this podcast at times for being critical of Klopp and his antics on the sidelines. And I keep it consistent because I'm very critical. What I, I've been critical of Arteta. I've been critical of Conte and these, these other managers who I feel sometimes negatively impact their team or make their club kind of look foolish. I understand why Jurgen Klopp was excited. I understand why Jurgen Klopp doesn't like Paul Tierney. I think Jurgen Klopp looked like a clown running over to a fourth official and screaming in a fourth official's face that his team just won. And what do you think about that? Like, you're celebrating in an official's face. Someone who is there doing their job. Now, I don't like Paul Tierney. I also love Jurgen Klopp and all of his energy and excitement. And when he ran out on the pitch and hugged Allison after Divock scored against Everton, I thought that was out of line and showing up an opponent, but I thought it was natural and something you could see yourself getting caught up in. If Jose Mourinho, once again, if Mourinho did what Klopp did to that fourth official, we'd be calling it classless. But we think it's really energetic. It it was it was it wasn't necessary, I guess. Yeah, I guess easy way to put what Shelton is saying is pretty silly and irresponsible. I am I agree to the fact that it was out of order and it was probably uncalled for, but at the same time, I feel like this is what you get and maybe it's because like i'm okay it's hard for me to hold somebody to a different standard when some shit like this happens because i'm the kind of guy that kind of like freaking loses it you know once you cross that line it's a different personality i, I don't even know the dude that plays out there sometimes right so it's kind of hard for me to criticize them and be like you got to keep your cool and stuff i you know i just can't do that so my thing was I think it's kind of like fits the character exactly like I was about to bring that example. So I'm glad you brought that up, like him running onto the pitch and stuff like that. I mean, if Arteta or anybody did that 
And I think with this stuff, if your own manager, if somebody you like does it, it ends up being more about, you know, oh, their energy, they're so into the game and stuff like that. When it's somebody you don't like, like, you know, Mourinho or, you know, Arteta or somebody, Pep does it, it becomes, oh, he's taunting and stuff like that. I kind of think, to me, when I evaluate those, if it is within character, I'm like, it's kind of like part of the package, good or bad. And I think this is bad. It does look bad. And I think it does draw attention negatively. It is out of order. I agree with all those. But to me, it's kind of like within the package. I don't think you can take that aspect out of the dude. He's going to do that no. 99 times out of 100. You know what I mean? And and I'm fine. I am fine with getting the good and the bad. Yeah. With the hugs and the big smiles and the patience comes the craziness. And maybe a little bit of like apologizing or holding your nose, you know, when you watch it. Cause it it was it was cringy. Like I hate it. it. I hate it when Arteta excuse me. I hate it when Arteta was literally trying to to affect the officials. In the VAR, I forget which match it was, where he was yelling at an, a match official yeah, while they were looking at a replay. <laughs> like it was, and it was wrong. Like it was, it was wrong. And I liked criticizing it. And I thought to myself, if I was an Arsenal supporter right now, as much as I want to support this guy for bringing us back to the top, this would embarrass me. And I feel like at times, that's where I get where there's moments where I'm never going to say I don't want Jurgen Klopp to be Liverpool's manager. But there are moments where I'm like, man, I wish our manager wasn't the one who was going to be on the highlights for the next week doing this. That's fair. I think, like I say, it's part of the character that you're never going to take away. It's kind of like the package. Deal. Absolutely. He's never going to be that guy that's, you know, and I think it's because, like, maybe I can just relate to it so much because because <laughs> after, like, that thing with the – when he ran onto the field, he knew instantly, I think, on his way back. I don't think he realized until on his way back after the hug, like, well, this was kind of fucking stupid and crazy kind of a deal. Because he apologized to Silva because Marco Silva was their manager at the time. He apologized to Silva for, like, two minutes. And I don't even know if Silva was listening to him because he was more in shock of what the hell Pickford did. But, you know, he apologizes to Silva for two minutes. And then he does apologize afterwards because I think he realizes that, you know, it is kind of like stupid and over the top and uncalled for and not professional. He should probably control himself a lot better. But like I say, I think it's just kind of like the package deal. He just cannot. And I guess the bigger question becomes when somebody's at that level, that much of a pro uh, getting that much money, should they be hold to a different standard than a dude like me who loses it as they're playing? I guess that's kind of like the question that everybody has to answer for themselves because you know it's still part of the the character of the person. Yeah, I mean, listen, I I I, I was not that far off. I got sent off, I think, three times in my high school career, which probably puts me two times more than most people in their high school career. <laughs> that's a lot um, for high school, bro. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. I had a couple good ones. I got good stories. But I I definitely know what you're talking about, especially where your mouth gets you in trouble or your emotions go over. 
I just think that there are times where you have to show that composure. And I think at times we've seen it where his composures let us down. And I think it's very rarely, but it happens. And I think it just means that he's human and he works on it. He admits he's wrong, but I just don't think it was the right. I don't think it was the right time to do this, but let me ask you this. Honestly, I want to ask you a question. I'll steal your, uh, your host chair for a second here. Take it. <laughs> no, but it, because honestly, I think it comes to this when it comes to the tyranny conversation, right? There is clearly a divide within our fan base that believes there are certain referees, Paul Tierney being one of them. Um, the Coot character who was on VAR being another one, you know, that are outwardly either against us or not. By the way, that, now that you said VAR, I just thought about it. And then the first half, that had to be the fastest VAR check I have ever Oh, seen. ever. Like, ever. it literally was a second. They were like, nope, not even close. Like, he didn't even turn the machine on. He was like, nope, I looked. It's good. I'm like, there's no way, bro. It just happened. Like, <laughs> Well, I do believe I do believe at that point he was probably watching a video on Pornhub and was basically like, "Yeah, no, we're good. We're good here. It's good. We're it's, good. good. <laughs> it's good, man. It's real good. I got a minute and a half. It's good. Um, no, I I I'm with you there. That last VAR check of the half was like, well, they checked that, and I'm thinking to myself like, Peter Drury, what did they check? They checked that the ball went out of bounds. They didn't even have time to turn the thing on, like to you know the rewind. It was just like, yep, it's checked. Anyway, go back. Go, let's go back to the question. No, but my 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 point of it was, we have these ideas, right, as supporters, that certain referees are against us or for other teams or this or that. But ultimately, Jurgen Klopp has basically started to slightly like lay the story out there that he believes Paul Tierney has something against his club. Like he actually went to him after the match and made a comment, like what is going on? Like, what do you have against us? He made a comment after that. There were these certain things. Um, I know Antonio Conte made a very similar comment. I think it was either early this season or end of last season about Paul Tierney. And he was like, I'm not saying you're a bad official. But you suck. But why do all these bad things happen when the official? And I mean, it was in Italian, so it sounded more broken with more hair, but faker. Um, but like, does something have to be done? Honestly, I guess this is my question. Like, refereeing in this league is getting to a point where it's so poor. Where I think if you ask people who you think are the worst five officials, it used to be like you'd get four of the same names and a random guy thrown in based on someone's opinion. Now I think you could honestly get one of the 10 or 12 officials from every person you talk to saying, oh, I think it's Andy Madley. Oh, I think it's Darren England. Oh, I think it's Phil Jones. I think it's, you know, Martin Atkinson. Like, I almost feel like refereeing has gotten to the point that nobody trusts anyone. So what's the question? Like what can be done or what should be done? Or I guess my, my, my question to you is, is do you think there is an issue with the refereeing to a point where like 
there has to be something done by either the FA or someone to like look at these referees to actually assess how we can improve it. Cause I think it's actually like impacting the play on the field. Like, see, that's a, the, having gone through this regularly in the Turkish league growing up and it's still on. And honestly, they just, they have run to a different problem now where they canned everybody. Now there's every, now their excuse for shitty refereeing is, well, they're new because we fired everybody else kind of a deal. But it's a very slippery slope when you start letting clubs kind of like dictate it. That's the one part I didn't like of it. You like your manager to kind of stick up for your team and your club's rights and stuff like that. So he's going to come out and say it. But you don't want FA to start responding to that because then – Okay, so Tierney doesn't get Liverpool matches. And then tomorrow, I don't know, somebody's going to say, Pep is going to be like, well, Taylor sucks. He always, like, screws us. And then I'm like, okay, well, then we can't give Taylor to City games. So it kind of becomes like a really slippery slope. And what happens is the moment the referees get announced, they, that's all the talk. You don't even talk about, you know, all these shows instead of, you know, trying to speculate the lineup or how the game is going to yep. go. You just basically talk about who the referee got assigned and how the, how it's going to impact the game and stuff. So it just takes away from the game. One thing they should be doing, I think, is these guys actually being graded and their status kind of changing based on that and not number of years. I don't care how many years you've been here because you've been here that many freaking things. I think, you know, the grading they do, it has to be a lot more transparent so we know who got good, who got bad. I mean, after a game like this... It has to come out that if they say, hey, you missed the red on Skip, you missed the red on Jota, what the fuck? So that now, you know, you know, you, your grade is lowered, whatever the hell might be. I know you don't want to have it, you know, have the clubs dictated, but FA has to be a lot more critical on them. Because, the, yeah, it feels like the refereeing is really, really inconsistent and i think that's the thing you know we say like you just mentioned earlier like tyranny does not show rest that should not be a thing because it should be consistency like tyranny should be showing a red to the same shit that taylor shows a red to to the same thing that oliver shows a red to it should be the same thing but it is not we know it not that you know what you're saying is correct it's factual you can see it in the numbers but that just does not make sense and i think that's why it's a slippery slope to let clubs kind of pinpoint names because it just goes down a really bad path. So actually, your, your comments were perfect, because it actually cleans up one thing, and I want to kind of piggyback on one of them. Um, one, what I actually was asking about was, like, should there be some type of, like, accountability and or grading and or mechanism to, like, quantify which of these refs are doing a better job so they can be better appointed to bigger matches? I actually wasn't asking if clubs like Liverpool or others should be able to come in because I agree with you. I didn't know that about the Turkish League, so that's kind of cool to learn about. I could see that as being a problem. And I don't want, like, I actually hate the referee talk, which is why, if you notice, like, I have an opinion on everything that people that have been listening <laughs> to this on Mondays know. And anyone inside our Discord channel knows I have an opinion on everything. But one thing I rarely talk about are like specific referees other than if I think a referee decision was bad. Because I think the whole referee thing, every supporter will scream, this ref hates us, this ref likes us. 
we never win with this ref. That's just because we all remember all the losses. Nobody yeah. remembers that match where Paul Tierney was the ref and we won five nothing. Nobody yeah. remembers that match. Exactly. They happen, people. It he's been a ref for like six years in the league. Um, there were a lot of those with all these bad guys, right? That's the way I look at it. So but one of the things you touched on was the the rating system and the way that they appoint these match officials. And I think that needs to be looked at. I think if they could steal anything, like I think one thing the NBA does right for as much as the NBA does wrong, they do that last, they do that last like three minutes or two minutes of every match, every game where they basically go through and tell you after the fact, every call in the last two minutes that was right, wrong or indifferent. And they rate their officials by it. And they hold those officials accountable. Now, had something to do with one of their officials going to jail for fixing <laughs> basketball games. Maybe. So, let's be Maybe. honest, they had a reason to do it. But if any sport is as crooked as anything, it might be football. So we're always worrying about gambling. So if the NBA is doing this to make gambling seem more legit, then why wouldn't you do the same thing in football? Why wouldn't you have some form of match review where these referees are actually accountable for the calls they make with some form of explanation as to why, which then I think would allow for teams to not feel so singled out when calls start to go against them by a certain official. Cause at least you'd hear Paul Tierney tell you why he thought that wasn't a red card on Oliver Skip. Like, I I do feel like that could make for more transparency in the game and make things better. I think so. I mean, we should be able to hear, you know, what they're saying and what is happening with VAR back and forth. We will probably not for a while because I can tell you that one of them came out. Just one conversation came out in a Fenerbahce match where they literally, you can pretty much tell the referees are trying to find something to overturn a goal because they're coming up with different excuses. Is it a foul? I think there was a foul there and stuff. So you can hear them talk and that got released. And once that got released, all the other teams said, well, let's release all of them. You know, like you're saying, let's hear what the conversations are. Well, I think they realized if we do that, everybody will get fired. So they did not. And the thing with tricky with soccer is, um, I mean, like you're saying, like in basketball, they do that. But, you know, if you ever watch that documentary about the dude that went to jail, he kind of like talks about how when the referees kind of like the whole Iverson story he talks about where Iverson does not get people oh, yeah. the way they want. They're like, well, two can't play this game. And they start calling travel on him and stuff. I mean, I know like and this has happened. This is not just conspiracy theories. But I mean, in Turkey, I know from that referees can really impact the game without really making it so that you see it in the highlights i simple yellow card or by you know right when you put the pressure and you can feel the goal is coming a stupid weak foul here there or stopping the game for something like an injury to cool things up the referees can do a lot of shit that kind of impacts the game and the results without really showing what they're doing and i think that's why we should be able to hear kind of like rugby and stuff 
whatever the heck they're saying. Like, what is happening out there? Everybody's covering their mouths. What the fuck are you guys saying? Like, we should be able, like, what can you guys be saying that's so bad that the public is not ready for this? Like, what we're talking about over here. Just, you know, release everything so we know exactly how a decision is made. And honestly, if a, if a or any federation was honest, you would want that. Like, right? I mean, you would be like, yeah, so you can hear how we came to the decision so you don't do your stupid conspiracy theories over there. Listen to this. This is how they did it. But it almost feels like when they do not do it, there is something to hide. And that's what, what well, probably worries me. And I think that's always been my issue with it. Is, and I think that leads to the this ref's against us and that ref does this. And and it allows just for it's just more excuses, right? Like this yeah. entire campaign, right? Since August, it's basically been an excuse. We played 63 matches last year. We're tired. We got to the World Cup. Our guys have to go to the World Cup. We have injuries. We're tired. We have this problem. We can't win at home. Like it's it's all something. And it's not just us. Yeah, Chelsea's making excuses. There's clubs all over. I mean, Bayern's struggling to win their farmers league that they call a top league in the world. You know, and they'll still win it because they're Bayern. They'll win it by one or five or whatever they win it by. They'll find a way to choke it, but yeah. They always choke it away. It doesn't matter. Even if they're handed it to them, they'll lose it. They'll find a way, and and Bayern will win it. But all these clubs, but a lot of clubs are struggling this year. We're not the only club who's having a down year. The issue is, is we play in the toughest league in the world. So we had a down year, and other clubs stepped up. Bayern had a down year, and so did all the other German clubs. Yeah, And that's the difference, right? The only difference is, is a few teams stepped up at the time we stepped a little back. And we're going to be really, really angry. I know we only have a few minutes left, but it's starting to really get in me. We're probably going to run the table just to piss me off. And we're going to finish with 71 points. And, like, Champions League qualification is going to be, like, 73. Yeah, 74. It's going to be the loss at home to Wolves, not being Bournemouth on the road. Yeah, drawing against news. If he woke up a week or two earlier, it almost feels like we would it, be there. Uh, so the like... report for every game and reviewed the problem with those is, yeah, we just don't get to know the outcome, and that's the problem. So, you basically, I'm making a report and giving it to me and Gally over here, and then you know. We're... And then Gally does a report and gives it to us again. And so then I, Paul, Gally's and report Bickler, of mine, and we're good. Right. And then Bickler looks at it at the end and goes, "Yeah, we don't want anyone to know how this went, really. So throw it away." Yeah, exactly. Like, nobody actually—it's not accountable to anyone. There's a report, but it's only going back to the same people that we don't trust for laying all this out because there's no transparency. They wouldn't come out and be like, yeah, we really nailed freaking Tierney after the game kind of thing. But I think it's part of like the transparency that we just do not get. And when there's no transparency, there's going to be conspiracy theories, especially then, you know, you can go back and like find video evidence to support your conspiracy theory too. But so I don't know who's refing the game on Wednesday. Uh, But before we go over here, what do you expect to see? Um, in terms of rotation, in terms of lineup, in terms of performance. Will that last-minute goal kind of be the – will the initial 20 minutes be enough to show this team that, you know, when we were in our game and hunting impacts, we can beat anybody. We're still the same team. 
Oh, I think it should. I think we'll have a little bit of rotation. I think we have to have some rotation, right? We're playing midweek. I think you have to have some rotation here on on Wednesday. Um, I would assume Jota gets a start, saying he scores that goal. And you think Nunez co- gets a start? I I got to be honest with you. I don't know because I feel like Nunez has genuinely fallen, like. I feel like Nunez comes in now because Jurgen knows I got to play this guy to try to figure this out. But yeah. like, honestly, there was no reason to put him in the match against Spurs. There really wasn't. Bringing him in almost weakened us. Yeah, I mean, nothing. You, you, it feels like there is nothing to gain right now because it affects your. I I still think it affects your defensive shape and what he brings. It affects your press, um, but. I guess goes back to what you're saying. We got to figure something out. It's just not, this is not like Taki uh, where you spent a no. little bit and then we'll sell it and make money. You got to figure out a way as much as possible to make it work. And, and I do believe we will. And I, you know, and I don't think a kid's a bum. We've talked about this. I think there's immense talent there. I think we could actually have a whole segment on next week's podcast. We could have had a segment tonight on Darwin and what's going on. Because yeah. I think what is happening quickly is, is, that it's not fitting and it started to fit and we found a way to make him kind of part of the process and it felt good for him. And then Gakpo really figured out his role and that altered how we were playing. And then Jota got healthy and now Diaz is healthy. Yeah. And I still think there's a world where all of them fit together. I really do believe that. But you make a great point that there are moments when Nunez is on the pitch where you think he is playing a game and the other 10 guys are just completely playing for another team. Like, yeah, they're playing a different game. Like he's doing his own, like I'll press, you know? And I saw some crazy stats. There are stats though. Like he leads the premier league for shots on target per 90. Like number one, but that proves that there is a player there. So for as few minutes as he's gotten, actually, with injury and starts, right? He's first in the Premier League for shots on target per 90 minutes played. Like, there, and I, I think that is a big number, though, in a league where you have to create, to actually get shots on target, you have to create yeah. space. You have to be in the right spots. Like, the players there, the tactics will be there. I just, I think Jota plays. I think we win. But once again, it might be three to one. It might be two to one. It might be four to five. It doesn't matter. The truth is, it won't be pretty. I think we come out with all three points. But I think I probably lose another six to 12 months off my life. Yeah, I'll be honest. Yeah, the, when we went to 3-3, I did lose a couple of months there, and I did not gain it back with the fourth goal, so they still owe me, is according to my math, and my doctor agrees. Okay, Sparkus is 2-2 again. Spark- <laughs> Sparkus is like, yeah, you got copy-pasting the predictions now, I think, with the 2-2s. Two um, I'm expecting a win, too. I think that kind of showed us, and we're home, right? It's an Anfield, right? Yes. Am I making this up? Yeah. So I feel like the yeah. fact that we're home, and I think we kind of know 
I mean, I guess it really depends on how much rotation too, if Nunes is going to be out there and stuff. But we can tell that, you know, I, I don't expect a clean sheet at all because Shelton says 3-2. Yeah, I definitely don't expect a clean sheet. I'm thinking like a 4-2-3-1 or something like that. This team has scored how to get into situations and score goals, but not leaking goals, unfortunately. And, I mean, and I know it's like a, an American plug, but to be fair to the guy, he's been their best defender for two years at, at Fulham. Tim Ream broke his arm. He's out for the rest of the year. So they lose their captain and like linchpin of their center back that actually formulates their defense. And as much as we hate the United ex United player, uh, Andres Pereira might've been their best player outside of Mitrovic this year. And he's out as well with a major injury. So they're down a few of their big players. If we can't take care of Fulham at home in a match, we have to win then. See, you something like that, it just falls apart. Don't set the bar that high. Let's just let's just get the three points and keep going. Don't set the bar that high. That's like it's gonna be an easy game or something. Uh Cyder says two one. Okay, I we convinced Sparky. See a little bit of pushing, and we're up to three two. There you go. Now you can't copy paste anymore. But yeah, let's hope for a win. I'll be back Wednesday morning uh with Gordo. We'll We'll have more information by then. We'll have the pre-match press conference and stuff like that and probably have a better idea of in terms of rotation. I just want to see what's going to happen in that midfield. You would think Handel would be back. Is Jones going to get another start? I, I um, think Jones starts. I'm telling you, I think Jones starts every match until the end of the season. I really do. Really? Okay. I get, I, I, the I think, midweek thing think, kind of worries me because he did play the most minutes during the week as well. And and maybe you're right. Maybe this is the one he doesn't start, but I think he's earned the right to be there ahead of Tiago. He's earned the right to be there ahead of even Henderson. Like, I think right now he should be right there with Fabinho as the first name on the team sheet. Well, because, well, there's no replacement for Fabinho. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Because <laughs> you can't put Keita and Ox there. Uh, and yeah, we both I mean... know. It's hard for me to say that about Jones. Like, I'm not exactly... Yeah, the, we've been uh, like, very critical of the kid. And I, I, I'm I, not as, like, over the moon as you guys. I know. For the performance. Uh, but I think he has kind of, like, thrived in this new role. And I think Gakpo and stuff, that left-hand side over there is really helping him uh, create. And I think it helps, like I say, I, the biggest difference I saw this week was having Elliot out there took a lot of pressure off of him. But let's see what's... Club musters up. Let's see who the referee is. And, you know, maybe Tierney will show up again. You never know. Uh, but as long as we get the three points, we'll have Bickler next week uh, to dissect both games and spew his poison on the refereeing. And we'll go from there. Have an awesome week, everybody. An awesome Monday. Thanks again for the fundraising. There is four hours left, though, so it is not too late to share and push others to contribute. And then we will be back Wednesday morning. Take care, everybody.